pierogies, a fermented soup, and a tavern at the bottom of a mine shaft. This week, we're in Poland. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome. If you're new to the podcast, each week we explore a different corner of the planet and the cuisine and fun things to do in that place. And this week we're in Poland. Recently, I discovered the new show on PBS called Flavor of Poland, so I reached out to its host, Alexandra August, and asked her to be on the podcast. She said yes, and turns out that Alexandra and I grew up in towns not too far from each other outside of Chicago. Not at the same time, of course. Alexandra is much younger than me, but we had that same similar Chicagoland experience. The thing about Poland is the cuisine is not really all that well known outside of pierogies and maybe Polish donuts here in the U.S. So we talk about a lot of cool things from Poland and all the different regions of Poland. Poland's not just one cuisine. It's lots of different kinds of regional cuisine. So we talk about that. And the other cool thing about Poland is it ranges in its cuisine from rustic to Michelin starred. So it runs the entire gamut. So it's a lot of fun when we talk about Polish cuisine, especially when Alexandra tells me about going to the bottom of a mine shaft for a beer. That's a great story. But before we get to that, let me ask you to rate and review the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go to your podcast platform, whatever that is, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, and give us a good rating and review. That helps other folks find the podcast. Destination Eat Drink. Alexandra, your show is called A Flavor of Poland. It just debuted a few months ago on PBS. For folks who might not have seen Flavor of Poland, Tell us how you describe the show. The Culinary Travel Series uh, is the first uh, such series on American television that uh, is solely focused on Poland. As far as I know, Poland has had its features in shows of this nature, uh, but it's only been shown in an episode or in part of an episode, so it's never had its full series. Uh, in Flavor of Poland is the first 13-episode TV program that really fully introduces American audiences to the country of Poland and, of course, its cuisine. So in the show, I, as the host, uh, take viewers on a tour through one region of Poland in each of the episodes. Uh, and we take kind of a tour through the capital and the surrounding towns and villages and see the local landscape. And after exploring the local history, the culture, and getting to know what that region is about and also sampling some food along the way, uh, we meet back in the kitchen where I show viewers how to recreate a couple uh, dishes from that particular uh, region of Poland. So across the 13 episodes, we visit 13 different uh, regions of Poland, which is the majority of the country, if you think about it, because uh, there's 16 provinces in Poland. So so this is the first kind of real in-depth tour of Poland uh, on American television, and we're so proud to finally bring that to life. Food and travel. This is the perfect combination, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> this is where I live. Yeah. 
Me too. Me too. <laughs> and so for folks who haven't seen it, it, it just as you described, you've got half of the show, you're traveling throughout wherever the places that you're going, and then half of it is in the kitchen. Did you spend a lot of time in the kitchen? And were you a cook? As, were you interested in the kitchen as a young girl? Yes, I was. I was also kind of pulled into it, uh, whether or not I liked it. I mean, I always loved food, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> There's a there's a big tradition of, of cooking in general in Polish culture. I think, uh, you know, we spend more time in our kitchens making the food at home versus going out to restaurants. It's more of a Polish tradition. Uh, so I was always kind of pulled into the kitchen by my mom or my grandma, and they sort of naturally passed on certain recipes and techniques to me. And my mom is also a social butterfly. So she always loved to host parties and holidays. Uh, and of course, being the oldest in my family, I was kind of her right hand in the kitchen always for those occasions. Uh, so I, I always say I grew up being my mom's sous chef. So I, <laughs> I may not have a, a professional background in cooking, uh, uh, but I definitely have a lot of experience with it. I think you're selling yourself short because watching this uh, show, <laughs> you definitely know your way around the kitchen. I think for oh, folks who um, don't know a lot about Polish food, I mean, Polish food is wonderful, but it hasn't had, maybe the show will be the impetus for it, but it hasn't had quite its moment yet, like Italian food, like Indian food. So I don't think there's as much knowledge of Polish food out there as some other cuisines. But I do think that if people know one dish from Poland, they know pierogies. So before we go into some of the different regions of Poland, uh, can you talk a little bit about pierogies and their importance in Polish cuisine? Sure. So uh, I'll just kind of backtrack a little bit uh, about what you said uh, in terms of Polish food not having kind of a spotlight yet. That's actually the reason why we uh, embarked on producing Flavor of Poland. Yeah. We took a, a look around at our fellow Americans and we noticed that, you know, Italian food, we know here like the back of our hands, Mexican, Japanese, you know, Chinese, we know all of these different cuisines. But Polish food, we only know kind of like at a surface level. Uh, so that's why we did a deeper dive into what Polish cuisine really is with this show. But like you say, uh, you know, even even despite that, pierogi will always be kind of the, the Polish the Polish cuisine icon. Uh, so they're definitely a staple of, of Polish food anywhere you go all around Poland. They're made in new and creative ways uh, in Poland today. So, you know, there's the traditional meat stuffings, the cabbage and mushroom stuffings. Um, but I've also had a chance to sample, um, I think it was salmon-filled pierogies in oh. the Missourian Lake District in Poland. Yes. So they get kind of fancy. They get fancy. And I know that uh, in Warsaw, for example, there's a there's the first gentleman to receive a Michelin star, uh, Atelier Amaro, for his restaurant, Atelier Amaro. Uh, so his name is Wojciech Modus Amaro. He's Poland's top chef today, and he actually, at some point, I don't know if it's if he kind of incorporates it into the menu today, but I know in the past he's made pierogi that are made out of uh, uh, beet petals. So it's the so he oh. kind of dries the, the the beet slices and then he pinches them into pierogi, and and there's some sort of fancy stuffing in there as well. So, like I said, they. If they're part of culture, they're part of cuisine, and they're made in new and creative ways as, as well as traditional. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're a big staple of our food. 
I, I love hearing the the rustic is still alive, but you can still get some fancy, newfangled, uh, nouveau cuisine ways of eating pierogi. That makes me very happy. Um, let's so let's go back to your to your childhood kitchen, because if we're talking about pierogies, your mom, your grandma, they must have made pierogies. What were some of their favorites that they would make, and what was your favorite as a kid? Uh, growing up, I think I really liked strawberry and blueberry filled pierogies because as a child, you gravitate towards sweet things. Um, so I really enjoyed those. Uh, my mom and my grandma would make them a lot during the summertime uh, and topped with uh, sweet cream. They're, you know, more of a dessert than a meal, I would say, but they are also very filling. So <laughs> uh, it, it's something that could definitely gravitate towards. So those were my favorite. I also liked uh, the ones that are stuffed with, with ground meat uh, and mixed in with uh, with some sautéed onion. This is stuffing made out of a mixture of that. And let's see, what other ones did I like growing up? Oh, the Christmas version. So I don't know if you're familiar, but... The, oh, what's that? The Polish... So I'll, I'll kind of give the backstory to the story. Uh, so the Polish Christmas Eve supper called Vigilia is, has to be entirely vegetarian. It's you know, kind of based on religious okay. customs. Uh, and so the pierogi that my grandmother to this day makes for Vigilia are uh, sauerkraut and mushroom. Mm. So it's it's a mixture of sauerkraut uh, and and dried mushrooms. So it's a very kind of earthy flavor. Uh, and so I really enjoyed those. They also kind of remind me of Christmas and, and good time spent with family on that holiday. But maybe... Maybe I love them for that sentimental reason as well. Right, right. Of course, food always brings back these memories when we we think of things that, you know, spending time with family or holidays or a first date, whatever. You, uh, food can be so uh, such a driving force of how we remember things, at least in my world. It's like, exactly. well, <laughs> I remember oh, that definitely. meal we had. I may not remember the people I had it with, but I remember the meal. <laughs> and food is always better with a story behind it. Of so. course. So let's get into some of the regions. I, I think that, uh, you know, the biggest city in Poland is is Warsaw, and you mentioned the Michelin starred restaurant that you went to in Warsaw. Um, do you want to talk mm-hmm. about that restaurant uh, any in any more detail? Sure. Yes, it's it's something that you know, being here in the United States and and knowing Poland really only from a distance and from from growing up closely with my family, uh, it makes me very very proud. You know, I think uh, when we think of Poland and the United States, this is this is starting to to change. But up until this point, I think we've always kind of seen Poland based upon its rough history. So, you know, all the the, the events that happened in the 20th century right. uh, weren't exactly very easy for Poland. And so, I think a lot of people in the states, when they think of Poland, they kind of still correlate it with that history. But in the last, I want to say, probably close to 20 years. 15, 20 years, Poland has just evolved and changed in leaps and bounds, uh, and it's progressed immensely, and it's 100% on par with, you know, the the kind of luxuries and expectations we might have here in the United States, uh, and is, you know, innovative in a lot of ways, and, and what I really love about the fact that even though it's progressing, uh, it's also hanging on to its roots and preserving its culture, the, the, the monuments, the traditions, the, the food. It's all 
it's all still deeply ingrained in what Poland is today. It's being experienced in new and fresh and innovative ways, but it's still the root of, of what Poland is, is is still there and beautifully preserved. And so uh, a restaurant like Atelier Amaro is the perfect example of everything that I just explained because chefs. Modest Amaro, before he opened his restaurants in Warsaw, he embarked on, I think, a year-long tour all around Poland and really, really researched what grows in Poland, what what Polish lakes produce, what sort of food can we get from the forest, what sort of food can we get from the mountain areas. And so he kind of combined all this research and created a restaurant that's based 100% only on products that come from the Poland's earth and that are based on on old and new traditions. And then on top of it, he also adds his own innovative techniques, which are some of the, the you know, most modern techniques in the culinary world. And he gets, combines all of what Poland truly is with this innovation and unbelievable creativity. And so I think, I think that kind of paints a good picture for why he got the first Michelin star uh, for Poland. So we're, we're super proud of that. Uh, I think since, there have been two more Michelin stars for Poland, uh, and one that was awarded actually last week. Uh, so I'm going to gravitate a little bit away from Atelier Amato for a second because I have to kind of do a shameless plug here. Yes. Uh, so last weekend, I found out from uh, the owner and chef of a restaurant in Krakow. It's called Botiglieria 1881. Uh, it's located in Krakow. Uh, beautiful uh, Kazimierz Quarter, and they are the third Michelin star in Poland officially. And I also have to say, this is a chef that I worked with closely on the Flavor of Poland program. That's one of the star, and the owner is a distant family member of mine as well. So oh, cool. Poland now has three. Yes, so Poland now has three Michelin stars, um, including Atelier Amaro in Warsaw and Botigieria in. Uh, in Kraków. And so, you know, I think, I think that also says a lot about how Polish food is evolving and how it's really kind of quickly beginning to gain a, a, a strong footprint in the, on the world culinary stage. Oh, I'd love to see that this is being elevated and people are beginning to recognize it, uh, Polish food. But back to Warsaw, because I wanted to ask you about the Pączki. And uh, uh-huh. first of all, I'm going to uh, I, I should have done this earlier in the program, but I'm going to apologize. I'm going to be just absolutely ruining the Polish language and it's going to ruin your 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 ears are going to feel like they're on fire because of my poor pronunciation. So you're going to have to forgive me and correct me throughout this, but I'm going to try. I'm going to put forth an effort. I'm a good coach. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Polish donut, the pounch key especially the one that you got in Warsaw? Originally, when we were writing scripts for Warsaw, Pomsky were not in the plan. And, you know, because we were so focused on showing uh, different dishes, different Polish dishes that are maybe not quite as well recognized in America, that we kind of gravitated away from the staple tradition. And halfway through it, I said to the producers, I'm like, this is not going to work. We can't go to Poland and not show Americans the pomszki. We have to show them how, you know, where they originated, how, what the recipe is, what it all looks like in, in Poland. Uh, so that's how we ended up uh, visiting one of Warsaw's oldest uh, pomszki bakeries. Uh, it's, it's a place that's been opened. It's had its doors opened, I think, since the beginning of the 20th century. It's seen 
you know, since that time, Poland's biggest celebrities, its most esteemed politicians, uh, and it's still open today. It's still in the hands of the same family who, who opened it years ago. Uh, and as far as I know, the recipe has been unchanged and, and the same for all those years as well. And it's so good uh, that there continue to be lines outside the door of this bakery. It's literally a hole-in-the-wall place. You know, if you if you blink, you'll miss it. Driving by, you know, sometimes it's hard to find for people because it's, it's just got kind of like a a sign above the door, and 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 it's a it's in an old tenement house in in Warsaw. My favorite kind of place. Yeah, but it's but it's the best bakery uh, for Pomsky, I think on uh, because Poland celebrates Fat Thursday rather than Fat Tuesday. So Fat Thursday in Poland, there are lines for blocks of people waiting to get their batch. And and they also, I think, bake a certain amount. And then after after those are sold, they just they close and that's that. <laughs> so you definitely want to get there early uh, on, on that Thursday. So let's talk a little bit about tavern culture, um, because you did an episode on a town called uh, Zhezhov. Hmm. I Z- hope I'm Zhezhov. saying that. Okay. You, you say it. Um, <laughs> and you went to a place called the uh, Shink Tavern. Talk about the the tavern culture in this town and drinking beer and eating food there. Sure. So at, at some point, there were uh, many such taverns all around Jashov. There was kind of a, like a culture of them. Uh, they served a, a local vodka and then a, a kind of a a gamut of, of various alcoholic beverages, and it would be the place where um, the community of that city would would sit down and enjoy each other's company. Uh, and I believe this was kind of a tradition that was also prior to the war. Um, but today, you know, the, there's I think that's the only one, at least in the square, that that is kind of reminiscent of those times in that historic tradition, um, and it it kind of preserves the the old customs of those times, you can still get uh, a variety of alcoholic beverages there, some nice liqueurs, uh, of course, uh, of, of sampling of vodkas. I had a beer when I was there. Um, Poland is, is really big on craft beers now, so almost any town you go to will have kind of a, a, a new local label of beer. Um, so that's what I had when I was there. And what, what the tavern... Their, what their menu kind of promotes today too is is the menu that you would you would see in any tavern during the communist era in Poland. So these kind of simple and hearty uh, dishes they're almost like uh, Spanish papas, except a lot more filling and there's more on the plate. But they were meant to uh, accompany uh, a beer or a vodka and you know kind of kind of fill your stomach as you were drinking and and spending a, a good time. With your friends. In that same episode, you had some sour rye soup. You out, you actually made the sour rye soup too. I've never had sour rye soup. Tell me about it. It's a very unique soup, and is one of my favorite Polish dishes. When people ask me what my favorite Polish dish is, I I usually gravitate towards this one. Uh, it's very hearty, very filling, and just has a, a, a really unique character in terms of of uh, flavor. Uh, so it's a soup that's made off of first a, a sour rye starter. So it's rye flour, garlic, allspice, 
um, there's some juniper in there and a piece of sourdough bread, and you combine all of that in some warm water and keep it in a glass or a stoneware jar for three to five days. So as that ferments, hmm. you get your sour rice starter. And so that's kind of the base of the soup. And then, as, you know, once you once you combine that with the broth, um, it, you put some cream in there, some margarine, cumin, also allspice. You put some fresh horseradish in there as well. And then it's garnished with smoked and white sausage and a boiled egg half. Uh, you can top it with some parsley leaves as well just to add a little bit of freshness. But it's, you know, I think based upon the description of all those ingredients, you can tell it's very hearty, very filling, very, very warming. Uh, you can have it any time of day uh, as a snack. Uh, I remember it as a actually a breakfast staple it would oh. be a soup that would be yeah it'd be a soup that we would enjoy on Sunday mornings at my house uh, and and it is regarded I think mostly everywhere in Poland as, as kind of a breakfast soup um, but but you can have it any time of day if you know during our tour through Poland when we sat down our crew when we sat down at a, a restaurant and we just had to have a quick lunch or a quick bite to eat that was always the first thing that I would order anywhere in Poland because it's uh, it, it's another kind of iconic aspect of Polish cuisine and and it's a it's a really good dish. Is that kind of the dish that you would judge your restaurant on? Like you go in there if they can make a sour rice soup, okay, we can we can comfortably sit here and enjoy a meal? I, I think I would. <laughs> I never actually thought about that, but, but that is that is a good test. So the sour rice soup, you, you have to have the sour starter. And it just made me think with the pandemic that's going on, everyone's talking now, if you're on Instagram, if you're anywhere, you see everyone is making um, sourdough bread. This might be something else to try with that same kind of fermenting action going on. Um, cook along with Alexandra and make some sour rice soup while you're at home. Absolutely. Uh, Polish cuisine has a lot of there's a lot of dishes that are that are heavy in probiotics. So you know the the sauerkraut, the sour rice soups, uh, the the sour cabbage soups or cabbage dishes. Uh, it's all very very nutritious and and healthy for our digestive system. Um, but what I would recommend uh, if we're trying to boost the immune system, what you want to do is go to flavorofpoland.com and under the recipes, uh, you're going to want to go to the Lithuanian beet soup. And there you'll find a a beetroot leaven recipe because that uh, that beet soup also uh, its base is a beetroot leaven, and so that beet cloth is so incredibly packed with vitamins and nutrients, and it also has that that, that probiotic quality too. So you want to make just that, and you can strain it and keep it in a glass jar in your fridge for a few days, and that is an immensely immune system boosting uh, uh, beverage. So I highly recommend uh, people do that. And you call that Lithuanian soup. Um, You know, Lithuania is not too far from Poland. I would imagine that there's probably some cross-pollinization of of, uh, foods and culinary traditions there. Absolutely. Uh, So... The this Lithuanian dish is actually something that it comes from the uh, Białystok area of Poland, so that's on the northeastern part of Poland, and that region of Poland historically has seen just an incredible blending of cultures, and and its inhabitants have come from you know all different parts of the world historically. So you've seen. Russians, Macedonians, Lithuanians, Germans, Jews, 
and all of these different cultures combined with Polish culture to create what that region of Poland is today. Always makes the world so interesting when you have that yes. nice gumbo going into into the pot together. Absolutely. I actually came across a really fantastic quote by Anthony Bourdain yesterday, and it's, I'm, I'm not going to kind of get it exactly, but it was something to the effect of, uh, he said that food might be a good start for world peace. Ah. It doesn't get us there completely, but it's a good start for world peace. Love it. So I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm, not, I'm on board. I'm on board. Count me in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another one of my favorite places you went to, Alexandra, was a town called uh, Katowice. <laughs> this is seems to me... I've never been. I watched the I watched the program. So judging from the program, seemed to be more of an industrial type town. And you went to a place called the Guido Mine. Yeah. And this is an old mine. There's lots of places in Europe you can go into these old mines, and it's fun to go because you can ride down or slide down in some cases and uh, explore the mine. But this one was particularly interesting to me because in the Guido Mine, in the bottom of the Guido Mine. This is the most ingenious idea. They put a tavern at the bottom of the mine. Yes. Talk about being there. So that is that is a very unique aspect of of that particular attraction in uh, in Katowice. Well, it's actually outside, a little bit outside of the the boundaries of Katowice. But um, yeah, it's a it's a surprise that every tourist kind of comes across when they when they visit the Guido Mine. They do these fantastic tours. Uh, for people coming in, and they take you down a real miner's elevator. I think it's what is it called? A, a shaft or something of that nature. And so you have the real experience. You dress up in a hard hat and a full miner suit, and a tour guide takes you through the mine on two different levels. Uh, one is, uh, I think, I don't know what it translates to in feet, but 170 meters underground, and then the last level is 320 meters underground. So you have uh, the option of doing both of those tours and then some people opt to actually do kind of a miner's work for a few hours to finish off their tour. But the best part of it is, of course, the tavern. Uh, like a real miner today, you can finish your shift and your tour through this mine by going and having a refreshing glass of beer. And then, of course, a sampling of the region's staple dishes in this unique tavern that's located on the, on the mine's lowest level. So that's, I think, remember correctly, I think that's over a thousand feet underground. So it's definitely the deepest pub, I think, in Europe, uh, maybe even the world, I'm not sure. But it's, it's a, certainly a unique attraction. Uh, visitors can come and enjoy it, but you can also have host parties down there. They they kind of take in corporate parties as well as private parties. So it's a, it's a very uh, unique idea. Before we finish up on on this episode, I wanted to ask you because in that same episode um, where you were in Katowice, you made—I don't know if you made it—I can't remember—but you definitely had red cabbage soup, and I was just wondering about the importance of cabbage because that's something that I often think about in Polish cuisine is the cabbage. Can you discuss the importance of cabbage in just in the cuisine of Poland? Poland actually was. Uh, its cuisine a long, 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 long time ago was, you know, primarily based on meats and grains. And then Poland got a, an Italian queen. So one of Poland's kings married an Italian woman, okay. uh, an aristocrat from, from Italy. Um, her name was uh, Queen Bona Sforza. And Queen Bona, when she came to Poland, missed the cuisine of her country and 
she actually introduced uh, Mediterranean vegetables to into Polish cuisine. And that's, I think, where cabbage originated in Poland. And this was, I want to say, the Middle Ages. Uh, and so from there, cabbage, you know, kind of quickly became a staple of Polish food and is, and is a, a big ingredient all over Poland. Uh, it's, it's a big staple of Silesian cuisine. So the Silesian region is, is where Katowice is based and that's where, you know, the, the Guido mine is. And so I don't exactly know why, but red cabbage became kind of a, a big part of, of that cuisine, of that region. So, you know, when you, when you go to Silesia, whether you visit the capital of Katowice or any town surrounding, you know, a lot of restaurants will have what they call modra kapusta. So it's red cabbage. They call it modra kapusta there. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a, a stewed side dish, or you can also make soups out of it. What I, I had both when I was uh, in Katowice, and then I also showed viewers how to make the, the kind of stewed side dish version. But when I was in town, I had the soup as well. So that's also kind of like a, a, a very sour and sweet and, and warming soup, kind of similar to, to the sour rice soup, to the jurek. Uh, but obviously, it's got a little bit more of a sweeter and even more sour taste to it. Alexandra, August, I feel like we could go on forever talking about the taste of Poland. We've just scratched the surface. I think we should have you back and do another episode and talks about some of the places we didn't get a chance to talk about on this episode. I would love that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, but for now, I'll put all the links for uh, your show and for a lot of the places that you talked about in the show notes so that people can easily find you. And thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's just been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. I don't know when we're going to get to travel next. I don't know when the pandemic's going to lift. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But at some point, I'm going to Poland. I'm going down that mine shaft, and I'm going to have a beer in that bar. Well, that's going to put a bow on this week's episode of Destination Eat Drink. Next week, very special. I will be talking to an Academy Award-nominated director on the program. Until then, check out DestinationEatDrink.com. There, I've got over 40 foodie travel guides to different cities around the world. Plus, I have a blog that I update all the time. This week's article I put up is a little bit different. It doesn't really have anything to do with food, barely has anything to do with travel, but it's a funny story that I enjoy telling about uh, meeting Lyle Lovett, the musician. And I think you'll enjoy it. That's why I put it on the blog. Go to DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Radio Misfits bigwig Ed Silla. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.